0: and hello it's drunk art review <laughs> the podcast where anyone from teetotal to blind ass drunk is welcome to give their honest opinions on all forms of art welcome to part two of our lgbtq themed episode hopefully you enjoyed part one and if you have no idea there was a part one oh my god go listen click back and check it out or at least you should if you love talking all things punk and cinema In this episode, we chat to some awesome guests and hear honest conversation about what being an artist in the LGBTQ community is like.
1: Our next guest is London-based Ricardo Bessa, a Portuguese-born freelance illustrator and storyboard artist who, in his own words, is partial to unique characters and eye-catching colour combinations. Welcome, we are joined by a very special guest. Um, we have got Ricardo Besser with us. Hello.
0: Hello. <laughs> hey, Ricardo. It'd be great if you told us a little bit about what you do.
2: Uh, I shall. Uh, so uh, I'm Ricardo. Um, I am uh, an illustrator and I live in London. And the, yeah, I basically do all kinds of freelance illustration. It's it's very it's a very diverse I guess kind of job that I have. I don't do like just one specific kind of illustration. I do mm-hmm. all kinds of different things all the time. Yeah, that's me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, we have a very serious first mm-hmm. question for you, Ricardo. We we always we've been opening all the interviews like this. What was the first thing that you did today?
2: The first thing that I did today after waking up, something really <laughs> boring, like probably checking my phone.
0: That seems to be the answer for everybody, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> oh god, yeah, I know. It's, it's yeah, I mean, we've been going through it, it's 2021, everyone's home, no one can leave and go anywhere to do anything, there's really no reason to rush out of bed, <laughs> so that's probably everyone's answer, I can imagine.
0: Oh my god, I get to have all my like work calls in bed. I mean, I do try to get to the desk, but um, the 9am work call sort of rings. and I'm like, it's never a video call. So I can just take it sort of pretty loungily in my bed, which is pretty good. Wait,
2: So you're in bed
0: right now? Oh, no, no, not right now. No, I, I'm, I'm pretty good with my days. Like I'm always fully dressed and I'm always like beds made. I'm at the desk, but 9am work call. Nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in bed. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be
1: perfectly honest. I've been pretty good. I'm already out with the dog by that point.
0: I know. I see you on Instagram, and it's like,
1: bam! When you have a furry alarm clock, it is easier to get up in the morning.
2: I crave that. I crave that motivation, that reason to live.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Um, So, Ricardo, describe your artwork in three words.
2: Oh, uh, do I have to? uh... (laughs) Yeah. A bit tricky like i i i wrote down colors and uh i don't have any any more words I, I don't know i <laughs> just color <laughs> it's colors it's just colors so it's kind of comics inspired and anime inspired Mm-hmm. at its core I suppose like visually but it's it's very strange because I, I very rarely read comics anymore and I don't watch much anime anymore any- as well so I don't know it's been a weird thing
1: you're busy creating your own
2: <laughs> uh, well it's I feel like it's kind of what like at the at when I was sort of coming up and kind of drawing all the time. These were the things that were mm. informing my visual like library, I suppose. And that's how I got used to doing things. And then I kind of grew as a person and I see other things and I do other <laughs> things. And but like this is still how I do things, uh, how I draw and how I create. Mm. I suppose comics and anime inspired illustration, I suppose, is what I do. And I like using colors a lot, which sounds very vague.
0: No, honestly. Your your color tone is just gorgeous. It's so nice to look at. Thank you. Yeah, you manage to like create depth of field just with color. It's just a uh, big fan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I, I find that I that's like the most fun part for me. Like the the, the part when I'm creating something that is. The only part that I actually have fun very often is sadly like the last half hour that I'm creating something and everything before that is suffering.
0: <laughs> you stressed all the way up until that point.
2: It's suffering. <laughs> but yeah, I do I do like giving the the finishing touches and you know that moment where you can that thing that you're doing went from a blob in in your screen or in your paper to something that actually resembles a thing that you could be proud of. That's mm-hmm. like my, my favorite mm-hmm. phase of the the drawing
1: when did you actually get into making art was it something you studied for or was it more of something you did in your own time that kind of then grew into something else
2: I guess kind of a bit of both because I did go to uni for arts but Mm -hmm. I kind of so the way it works in Portugal is where I'm from is you kind of select specialization I suppose Mm
1: -hmm. okay
2: for 10th grade so your last three years of secondary school is that called secondary school 10th to 12th
1: Oh, a bit like how we do two years of GCSEs here i, th-
2: I yeah i think so that's probably it so you have you kind of pick what you want to do and i was actually in the science branch
3: oh wow but that
2: was just because i didn't quite know what i wanted to do and all my friends were staying in the science bit, and i was like eh, might as well mm. uh, i kind of decided <laughs> at some point that i hey, actually i want to draw and be an, uh, an illustrator or be an artist because this thing that I really enjoy doing as a hobby and have for years could actually be a thing that I want to do for a job. So, and then I went into art school in in Lisbon, but it was actually more of a fine arts course. Mm-hmm. And even though I kind of realized very early on that I wanted to do illustration, the course itself was very diverse like a, a lot of photography a lot of video editing a lot of theory and essays and a lot of like yeah there was drawing but there wasn't actual design work and illustration work it was just, like mm-hmm. figure drawing and life drawing so i kind of always had to do my own thing you know in the evenings while still studying arts but mm-hmm. uh you know obviously it was still very valuable but it wasn't until my master's degree that i actually did a master's degree in illustration had illustration focused <laughs> classes or projects, so yeah, I suppose it was a bit of bit of both.
0: I imagine the um the fine art course, so much of that is about sort of uh, the concept, thinking around it, and the social standing of what you're making and everything like that. So all those different aspects of art, you know, photography, film, sculpture, all of it, that would bleed into the work now and help influence. <laughs> this is kind of like a, a jump in question. Do you feel that that like did influence your work now?
2: So because my course like a lot of people felt a bit disillusioned about that specific course because mm-hmm. i think it was a relatively re- recent course that i did it was called art and multimedia it was like fairly new it was like the maybe like second third year that it, it existed or something but I think a lot of people saw it as like oh I'm a nerd and I want to do fantasy art or I want to work <laughs> in video games or I want to do like it was a lot of that kind of people my classmates which you know I felt very at home with mm-hmm. and they saw art and multimedia and they were like oh yes this sounds like the right thing to do but then when we got there a lot of the subjects that we had were all like oh yeah it's all concept and it doesn't actually matter the aesthetics are of your work they don't matter it's all about the concept and I had a lot of that to sort of Mm -hmm. get over in a way. Because I was just like, I just want to draw things and make pretty things, <laughs> and those things are going to be almost cliches. Mm. But that's that's because I like things like, for instance, fantasy and video games that yeah. have a lot of cliches in some ways. Uh, I don't know. It, it it gave me a bit of a, a complex with like uh, concept and lowbrow stuff mm-hmm. and highbrow stuff and what's what, and blah, blah blah blah. Whereas I really just wanted like to draw things that I enjoyed, and yeah, it took me a while to get over that
1: something we discuss a lot isn't it it's just nice to be able to make art because you like the way it looks yes that's exactly what i was going to (laughs) say we get a bit annoyed sometimes by certain groups that act a bit like fine art has to be this really inclusive well not inclusive this really kind of um inbred Mm -hmm. only for certain people Mm -hmm. and it has to mean all this grandeur and actually, if you just like
0: making something, it's just pathetic to make it, isn't it? It's okay just to be pretty and enjoy the work you're making.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it was very much like basically a lot of the things I remember, like trying to steer projects a certain way and mm. having people be like, like teachers, uh, be like, oh, that's not. Yeah, I was made to feel that there was a right way to do art and a wrong way to do art. <laughs>
3: So bad.
2: <laughs> yeah, with the fine art sort of like world and the fine yeah. art. There's still a lot that I'm a bit like, oh, I, I I don't know. I don't know how much of these I actually relate to or enjoy. Mm. It's a very weird stance to have as an artist in a way. But at the same time, I, I, I'd rather just be kind of true to myself and to what I want to do.
0: Well, it, it takes away the freedom your own creativity and sort of journey i yep. think too yep. which leads on to the another great question um is there a particular piece of artwork that has inspired your own creative journey you mentioned uh you know fantasy and game work is there anything that really sticks out in your mind
2: i feel like i tend to like change as in like my tastes change a lot like year through mm. two year to year so it's a Bit of a always an, an odd question. People are like, Oh, who's your favorite artist? or who, What's <laughs> a favorite thing? And I'm like, I don't know, it could be this today and could be this other <laughs> thing in three months and, or in three years. Mm. Uh, I do feel that what motivated me to go into art school in the first place was that I wanted to be a video game concept artist, <laughs> of course. Like, I, mean, I was an 18 <laughs> And it was specifically, in my case, it was specifically like these Japanese RPGs that I loved, like Final <laughs> Fantasy and that kind of
0: stuff. Well, they're beautiful, aren't they? <laughs>
2: uh, Yeah, honestly, they they were a big reason why I fell in love with just creating visual stuff that just Mm -hmm. was like appealing, sort of like fantasy, beautiful worlds. That was, I guess... Is my answer going to be Final Fantasy? It might be. I don't know. That that might just be my answer.
0: It can be anything you want it to be, and I think like there's no like snubbing where you get inspiration from. And there's such like amazing like fun games. Well, stressful, stressful games, but beautiful to watch. Watch someone else play, of course.
2: Yeah, yes. yeah, all, all ranges, all kinds. Uh, some of them are very stressful. Some of them are very, very. Some of them you'd rather watch other people play, but yeah. <laughs>
0: It's whenever it's a turn-based game, I, I get I'm stressed. I, I like just to be able to, uh, like open world hack and slash as much as I can. That works. <laughs> it's changed your personality, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> I've been like I've been immersing myself the past uh, month or two. I finally got a Switch and joined the modern world, and I've been playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. I don't know if any either. <gasps> <gasps> Zelda
0: is like one of my favorites. Oh well, I mean it, it kind of has to be everyone's favorite, I think.
2: It's so good. It's so good. So yeah, that's sort of been just such a uh, such a splash of like light and color. That world is just it's, it's lovely. It's so lovely.
1: So Ricardo, what is your artistic process? Is it different for different projects that you work on? Or do you kind of approach everything with the same kind of mindset? How do you go about working on something?
2: I guess, yeah, it depends on the kind of project. Because if it's the kind of thing where, I don't know, it's like a, either an illustration or a set of illustrations that I'm just... Working on at home for whatever it is, whether it is for, like, I don't know, book cover or advertising or designs for these or that, it will usually try to come up with ideas and the sketching phase, which is the phase that I like the least, I think, is the phase where <laughs> there's most self doubt, I think, where you're just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> And that's very much a, a massive part of the process. And then, you know, kind of eventually build up on that and eventually get to the finished piece. But a big part of my work as well, which is a big part that I don't really post online, I do a lot of visualizing work and occasionally storyboarding. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the kind of work that you do sort of like on a daily daily rate sort of basis, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like work for hire, whether it is advertising or for... I've done stuff for like Sky and for PlayStation and just like a lot of sketching and ideas building and for that i in a way just much easier on the brain because I don't really have time to think too too hard, which is mm-hmm. very, very good in my case. So I just have to like dive in and start sketching things and uh, <laughs> see what kinds of ideas I can com- I come up with. So yeah, it's it's usually that is a lot faster and a lot easier, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it's just, you know, kind of sketching and then from sketching, you kind of like find your way until we eventually get to a finished thing that everyone's happy with, hopefully.
0: <laughs> oh, hopefully you're happy with it at the end.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there is more rare, I think, But when you're a commercial illustrator. But, uh, you know, sometimes I am happy with it as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's, um, it's always such a... When you're doing uh, client work, especially with storyboarding and things like that, it is so much easier so much of the time because you do have that point A to B that you can get to when you're having to create work from yourself. You're, you're literally sort of opening your arms up to the universe. You're like, right, what do I want to draw right now?
2: Exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> so it can be a little bit more daunting.
2: Yeah, when even... I don't know if either of you feels this, but uh, when I need to do work well, not need, when I kind of want to do work for myself, <laughs> for fun, it will be so difficult to just even get started. Or like, I have I have this sketch that I've literally redrawn, like I know exactly what I want and the, the skeleton is there, But uh, because it's for myself and it's for fun, it's just, I've redrawn it like four times and I'm just like, this is, (laughs) because there's always something that you want to change. Whereas when you're doing commercial work, and especially if it's Mm. like work for hire on a daily daily rate kind of basis, you just want to be like, okay, yeah, this does the job. It is done, moving on. And in that way, it's just like such a massively different process and in a way, just so much easier
0: or in a way you're, you're kind of your own client and as we know like clients can be a little bit yeah. hard to please
2: oh my God. I'm horrible I'm a horrible client
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another another uh, great question to ask which do you prefer Twitter Instagram or Facebook Oof. when she says great she's doing the um, double fingers around <laughs> each of them
1: because you know yeah. asking very professional questions right now
2: <laughs> it's like fuck Mary kill between social media <laughs>
0: I mean, you can answer it like that if you like. No,
2: I, I kind <laughs> of... Okay, Facebook is immediately out, because I just I Divorce. <laughs> I, I have killed them, I buried them, I'm widowed, mm-hmm. so. Uh, no i was literally just looking at uh at my profile today because i kind of want to try to you know because pandemic and you don't leave the house i was kind of thinking oh it would be nice to kind of use some of these groups that i've joined through the years Mm -hmm. and kind of like try to sort of chat with people meet people common interests blah blah the whole thing (laughs) because you you know (laughs) literally i opened it and it's just like so much noise with all these people that you barely remember Mm. and all these posts from groups that you
1: people sharing things uh not true and... yeah
2: and it's just like it, well i don't have much of that thank god uh i don't have a lot of how should i put this i don't have a lot of people that, not a lot of like people that hmm.
3: idiots <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i guess i've curated my, have my like books. a weird
1: relative that shares odd opinions <laughs>
2: Yes. <laughs> I, I've surrounded myself with pretty a pretty cool group of people, I suppose, is, is what happened. But uh, yeah, I was just looking at it today and I was just like, I can't. it's too much noise, too much visual noise. So like Facebook, I, I just, yeah. Uh, but uh, I suppose between Twitter and Instagram, I'm going to say like Instagram, because at least that's like a little more peaceful.
0: Mm, it's kind of more contained than tw- uh, Twitter, I find.
2: It is, and it's like a lot more visual um, than Twitter. Uh, whereas I feel like I, I would prefer Instagram just because Twitter just feels very angry at all times. And it's actually...
1: yeah, In Instagram, all the anger and the horrible comments are like hidden, aren't they? You can't they are, see them yes. immediately, whereas <laughs> if you go into a Twitter post, they're just there all in a list ready for you. Whereas in Instagram, you can be blissfully ignorant if someone's written something horrible under another oh, picture. Yes, or...
2: absolutely. It's just like so much more visual and you, you, you just you, you know, you see someone's post and you get maybe one or two comments that, some, that people posted, but there's are like 200 more and you don't really click to see the other comments because it doesn't matter. Uh, mm. So you just see the photograph first. Twitter is just like bad news after bad news after someone's take on something, after someone's criticism on someone's take on something. And it's just like uh, tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet. And it's just like our brains aren't meant to cope with that.
1: It's a bit of a cesspit, really, isn't
2: it, Twitter? Exactly. Yeah, it's just I I have a pretty hard time with it these days. So, Instagram. This is my very (laughs) long-winded way of saying Instagram, I think.
0: It's like, Instagram, I'll marry Instagram. (laughs) I'll
2: marry Instagram. We
0: should have asked it like that,
1: shouldn't we? Like, what was it? Uh, Snug, marry. Fuck marry kill. Yeah, that one. (laughs) Kill? (laughs) My God. Yeah, have you not heard that one? So you kill one, you marry one, and you fuck another one. Oh my God, this sounds like dark Dark
0: web web stuff, man.
3: (laughs) It's quite a popular game oh, yeah, that people
2: play on. A thing. I honestly.
0: People I only knew the uh, Snog Mary, um, uh, avoid. <laughs> Yeah, but that was a television show, wasn't it? Oh, okay, well, yeah.
2: <laughs> it was a lot gentler and probably better.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think
1: um, Channel 4 would have gone for a fuck, Mary kill. <laughs> uh, a slightly more serious note, do you feel that the art world has been accepting and has actually made space for LGBTQ artists?
2: Yes. I mean, obviously, nothing's perfect or anything. I think the short answer is uh, yes, but. But I think just naturally, because I feel like a lot of creative or artistic circles or groups or work groups or whatever it is, are just, they tend to be more casual towards most things anyway. And that casualness kind of translates into being just more open minded, because I think you got to be open minded to be creative you know to, to some degree obviously there's a lot of exceptions to this but i think generally yes you know there's the like th- I, don't, I don't think it's any it's any secret that tons of art circles are still very exclusionary towards people of different races and towards people of different classes even like in this country like in a way that i have hadn't been really exposed to to this degree until i kind of moved here and kind of like learned how certain just how the art world sort of like worked here Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, class is still a thing in other countries and it's still a thing in Portugal, but it's it's, it's a bit different than it is here, I think. You know, obviously, I think you would be able to speak on it a a lot better than I would. But generally, I would say yes, but there's still a lot of exclusion towards specific groups and specific things. And you kind of have to be... Oh man, I cannot believe I just forgot the word that is so important when you you are inclusionary and you have to be, you know, when it crosses race and gender and sexuality, what do you call that?
3: Oh, uh... Hmm.
2: Intersectional! Oh my god, oh. intersectional is what i was <laughs>
0: it's so weird you're asking and i was like because you'd asked i didn't remember the word
2: yes <laughs> god uh so yeah it's, sorry yeah the, it's, because there is sometimes there isn't an intersect, intersectionality there and mm-hmm. you can't really be completely lgbtq friendly if there isn't intersectionally there intersectionality there as well <laughs> uh, i'm gonna write this down otherwise i will forget this word again <laughs>
1: going back to a little bit to Twitter and how it's a bit of a cesspit, I have noticed because I follow quite a lot of um, comic and anime artists on there and it's a different example just the classical finely trained artists that are a bit interbred but there's this thing on Twitter at the moment I've noticed from a lot of these artists that are drawing either characters from other races with different sexualities, trans characters, there's this particular group and generally it's a certain type of American white man. Um, not to be generalising, but it tends to be then when you go on their profiles that are almost like super protective of this thing. And then if a, if an artist draws a character that doesn't fit what they view as the norm, they get really nasty about it. And it's a bit like, well, what's wrong with having all this different representation in a genre? Yeah. It's really bizarre. Yeah, I find it quite worrying that they think that it's a bad thing to have more inclusion. Mm-hmm. I think they're so protective of themselves being in those positions yeah. that it can get quite nasty, actually
2: speaking to that, it's also really depends on sort of like which sphere you refer to. Because, you know, if you think of like the art world and galleries, and there is an openness for sure about um, sort of what society would call alternative lifestyles. Uh, <laughs> well, people. Uh, but then there's also like, you know, sort of when you go into, um, you have all these, uh, for instance, a, a very, very specific examples of um, uh, conventions of uh, genre art, like fantasy art or like mm-hmm. uh, cinematic uh, sort of stuff. And you have these panels of, of like concept artists and these panels of like that kind of like industry sort of sphere. And there's still so many that are straight white men with like maybe one person of color, maybe maybe one or two are maybe queer or maybe not, mm. they, they're still like depending. I feel like especially when you go into like a lot of the spaces that I kind of see myself in nerdy artists or comic <laughs> artists or uh, concept art, there's still such a these, these weird strongholds of like straight white men that kind of want those spheres to still be led by them yeah. feels or like there's still like a, a much higher visibility of those kinds of artists so mm-hmm. so it, it really depends on where you you're coming at and yeah i think yeah just in general i think there's a an openness but there's obviously a lot to be improved in a lot of specific pockets
0: yeah and i think a major problem is as well it's like so many like especially with films and and with comics too the outer skirts of society, they're depicted by the white man so much of the time. It's through their eyes, their gaze. It's not accurate because you're not giving it the right representation. So many people are probably having the best intentions to try and spread word about it, but they need to be able to give room for the people who it is their lives to actually talk about it more. Because it's like, you have so many old white male directors making films about like, like Blue's the Warmest Color, directed by like a yeah. white yeah. male man and I'm like it's it's about women you know um, and I mean I think you're seeing a little bit more of that now especially within film you just want more of it because you'll just as soon as that's opened up it'll be amazing you'll see so much more because it'll be so much more relatable you'll be able to see things that they can't see the white male gaze can't like look into
2: yeah, and it's like with that. It's like I think the crux of it is is one of people's arguments is all is, is very often like, oh, you know, we didn't really look at uh, color or sexuality or gender. We just picked the <gasps> best person for for the role, and I'm like, yes. so the best person for the role ninety percent of the time just happens to be a straight white man. That's uh, a bit of a strange,
1: like, how convenient. <laughs> or
2: maybe just maybe you haven't. There is something that is keeping all these immense Mm. beings of talent uh, in these other groups that do not look like you, but you don't know that they exist or you haven't looked for them or there's something that's stopping so many of them from just achieving their full potential or just achieving visibility. And it's just like, the question here isn't picking people because of their gender or their sexuality or their color Mm. or whatever. It is because those people exist. Those people are here. But the world that we live in just doesn't allow for them to be seen or to be found or to be like hired on the same terms yeah i think that's like where people just don't quote unquote understand or it's, it's the thing that I, if i think about it too hard i just go like oh. uh, no, I, I,
0: can, <laughs> I, can, I can feel my cheeks flushing from like the sort of the anger from it <laughs> and just like <laughs> yeah. wanting things to be so much more inclusive for everybody but Onto a, a more uplifting question. Oh, yeah. uh, unless, unless it's pretty hard. I mean, it always is. Um, but <laughs> who are your favorite artists? And if you have one, what's your favorite film? You can name a few if you like.
2: Sure. I mean, again, it's going to be that thing where I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's like changes all the time.
0: Sometimes it's just too hard to pick one, isn't it? What's your favorite today?
2: <laughs> well, I don't know about today, but I do uh, a thing that I, when I looked at this question, I was always like, okay, I'm not sure about film but what i do (laughs) always kind of give as an example of a film when i was young that i watched Mm -hmm. and really spoke to me and really shifted something in me was the fifth element
0: (gasps) that's great i
2: must have been like eight or nine or something eight nine ten something like that uh and i remember watching it and just being like there is just so much that I love in this. What is, what I don't understand.
0: I wonder if it was the colour. Like, there's so much vivid colour in it.
2: I, I just... That was probably that. That was probably just like there is the, the female protagonist that is like super mm-hmm. strong, although, you know, not without its problems, but you know, it's still <laughs> basically you see Mila fighting her heart out and just being this <laughs> massive badass. I don't know, it's it's weirdly enough, I'm not even like that much I enjoy sci-fi, but I'm not like a you know, a sort of Star Wars Star Trek kind of person. But that movie, there was something to it that I was just like and like the whole elements thing, I was just like obviously I went on many years later to also love stuff like avatar and there's <laughs> something to that yeah that, fifth element is like just a movie that historically just like really left a mark in me mm. it's for favorite artists again I, I think just like looking back and looking at like especially my seminal sort of like stages of learning who i was in, as an artist i really love Jillian uh, tamaki who's an, an illustrator as well
3: um oh i feel like to do a quick google
2: she's now i think mostly doing comics but uh she was just like a freelance illustrator for a very long time as well and this is like this is so a lot of my favorites are it, it's it's odd to mention they're basically just a few years older than me they're not like i'm not saying like oh i don't know turner although i really like turner as well uh but uh, you know kind of like this 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 classic older artists that are have had history like written mm, about them yeah. a lot of my favorites are actually just like contemporaries
0: but that's awesome having uh, like uh, people that you love who are only you know they're in with within your age bracket
2: yeah, yeah I've, I've met her she, she signed a book of mine <laughs> like well a book yeah. with her art that I own. <laughs> uh, it, it's it, yeah, she's one of my favorites. So cool.
0: Yeah, it, it's like the art still um, growing for you to watch and and see it develop. So it has more life to it.
2: Very much that, and um, yeah, I don't know. But it always feels a bit like when you have this question. It's again throwing back to that art school kind of thing. You always mm-hmm. you always feel like people will want you to say some super highbrow obscure (laughs) artist that is just like so the essays have been written about them them, but uh, it's not really me most Mm. of the time but uh, yeah and then another one that just comes to mind is Hawaiian artist called Edwin Ushiro Uh, so it's uh, Ushiro I I think that's how you say it it's U-S-H-I-R-O and I think he's kind of uh, this mix between a street artist and fine artist, and just uses these beautiful sort of like colors and light. I think he does this thing with like layers of, I don't know if it's like resin or like these this transparent things on top of each other that gives this sort of diffusion to stuff in the elements. I, I don't know, it's hard to describe, just go see his work, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful.
0: Did a quick google and i yeah i know what you mean he almost has like this sort of um if it was if it was digital it'd be like this gossam blur that he manages to like saturate parts of his work in
2: i don't know it looks organic and so i, I really like it
0: yeah and the color use is just like so gorgeous i can actually see like um a lot of uh similarity in like his color um do you know the the artist Loish? She's
2: oh quite... yeah. yeah 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 absolutely a massive influence when i was in deviant Heart. on deviant yeah. so, um, my, my teens.
0: oh good old deviant art <laughs> save me oh yeah
2: deviant arts <laughs> massive in my life
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that was definitely um our thing as well through high school <laughs> oh man we used to love a bit of deviant art
2: oh. oh same same until like brings
1: back memories
2: <laughs> it's like you love it until you don't but uh it was Regardless, it was such an important dimension of my being exposed to art, basically.
0: Mm, mm, same here. I remember saying um, to a teacher that I had like a gallery on DeviantArt, and they were like, What do you mean, DeviantArt? Like, is this kind of some weird kink site? And I was like, yeah. nah. <laughs> kind of, I
2: mean... <laughs> uh, to some people, sure.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, though, I, uh, I went to one of Loish's book launches, like her second book, And I got to meet her and she's honestly like the nicest lady, I swear. Mm -hmm. I was obviously like enamored by her as well. Because obviously, you know, you follow artists for so many years and then you meet them and you're like, you're just like me, but like so talented. (laughs) It's,
2: It's again, it's one of those things about like really loving art by people who are just alive now and they're basically your age, maybe a couple of years Higher, or lower, and mm. I, I mean, so many of my people whose work I really love are like younger than me as well, which is like I know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, there's like a lot of people have like feelings and thoughts about this that are oh, it's so weird. But actually, you know, it's kind of cool. It's actually really cool.
0: Yeah, I love to see how um, well people are doing genuinely, and it is. It's always so inspiring to me. And I mean people get so fixated on age don't they and especially when it comes to art because they think that time has so much to do with your ability and if you get to you know sort of 30 40 and you're not where you want to be and they see people who are at, like i don't know 25 really succeeding there can sometimes be this negative feeling but everyone is on their own path yeah and, and success like success is like how you feel about your work it's a shame if you do get to 40 and you're not happy with your work but it's kind of like it's just being able to appreciate what you're doing right now and that should be your success
2: yeah it's i think it's like just you know one of the many the weird choice of words one of the many tentacles of like this sort of (laughs) Hustle culture that like pervades so much of the art community online. It's probably a better word than tentacle, but uh, it's what I went for. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very much the thing of like, yeah, you have to like draw every day, and you if you don't, then you'll never make it. And you have to be in at this stage when you're 20 or when you're 25, and look at these super successful artists who's like 21, and blah blah, blah and just like. Yeah, none of that actually really matters. No, it,
1: it, everybody has their own kind of journey, don't they? Then their yeah, own creative little, world. Yeah. And the amount of, I think if you put too much pressure on yourself, you it, you do yourself a detriment, don't you? You end up, I think, hating sometimes what you're producing just because you feel like you're forced to make it. Oh, yeah.
4: Um,
1: on to a more community based question again. So, do you um, feel that being a part of the LGBT community has an impact on the work that you produce?
2: um yeah i mean that you know it's part of who i am so therefore everything that i am influences what i do in my artwork i do like to draw you know boys kissing uh i don't do it as often as i would like to but uh, (laughs) it happens on occasion but um i don't know it's just one of those things when You know, when you're kind of growing up and you're like coming to terms with your sexuality and you're like, there's always that phase where you wonder, oh, what what would life be like if I wasn't gay? Or what would I be like? Uh, What kind of person would I be? And that's just like, you you can't really know. And also that very much informs who you are and what you do. Like, There's really no separation there, I think. So yeah, it very much influences it a bit in with the specific subject matters that I sort of like depict. But I think very much so in because it's such a big part of who I am, it very much informs the way that I see the world. And, you know, as an artist, the way that you see the world is integral to what you draw and how you draw it. So in that sense, yes, it absolutely is a massive thing, I think.
0: Oh, it's so inspiring to hear you talk about your work like that. Like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> How so?
0: because it's so true and i think we forget how much of ourselves gets put into our work yeah because of like you're talking about with you know the the tentacle hustle (laughs)
2: Uh, oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be my my legacy from this podcast
0: you'll have a t-shirt and it'll be great oh
2: that's a little money
0: it's just um yeah we're we're constantly on this this hustle of drawing every day and trying to succeed and because we're constantly seeing our peers and everyone doing it all the time as well in that race i think there's almost like this forced agenda to analyze Mm -hmm. what you're doing too but i think like that needs to be taken with like like a meditative breath and just to like accept what you're making and understand of who you are and Mm -hmm. how that influences your work and just sort of love it you know um so that's what I was feeling when you were saying that that's why I felt so moved (laughs)
2: Oh, (laughs) I'm so so honored. Uh, But yeah, I mean, like I was, when I was talking about, for instance, about my course, the reason why I kind of got over that thing of like, oh, that was a terrible course and I didn't Mm -hmm. like it, blah, blah, blah. But then I actually realized, well, maybe it didn't give me like the practical tools to do a lot of the things that I had to learn on my own, like software learning or uh, Mm -hmm. drawing specific things or briefs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it did like all those, those theoretical sort of like classes that we had and the, this visual culture and the learning of like all the, the way of thinking and the way of learning of, and of teaching in that course actually really did inform the way that I see the world in many ways. Mm-hmm. So
3: hmm.
2: it informed the way that I think, even if it didn't inform the way that my hand does lines. It informed the way that my brain tells my hands what to draw. <laughs> if that means anything. Yeah. So that's why I was like, actually, you know, that was probably pretty important as well to how I create images, and that's that's got a lot of value as well. It's all it's all very all of these experiences and all of these things of who you are like very as important to what you do as the actual craftsmanship, I think
0: yeah no I completely agree um but on to another wonderful question if you know (laughs) um if given the opportunity who would you love to collaborate with who would be your dream person
2: <laughs> um, not sure about who. I don't, I don't think I really have a, a who that I can think of out of the top of my head. A, a kind of dream project that I would like to do. I would kind of love to be able to either work or interact in some way, uh, like a video game of some sort at some point. That would be really nice.
3: That would be so fun!
2: I, I think so.
1: Is there a particular genre that you would be most interested in I mean, doing in your video game?
2: Probably an RPG. <laughs> I'm
1: there, please make it.
2: <laughs> for good old time's sake. So in that sense, I guess uh, I would like to collaborate with a group of people who work for a video game <laughs> company or, or something like that. But uh, that's probably very roundabout. Uh, but yeah, I, as for who, I, I, I don't... It's Ariana Grande? I don't know. <laughs> right, that, that <laughs> basically anyone who's sort of like work, who's doing something that I think is cool pro- would probably be someone who I'd, I'd enjoy um, collaborating with really
1: right so onto a a less serious question now can you remember the first thing that you ever drew or produced whether it was something when you were really little or whether it was kind of like the first time that you really took art seriously what was the first thing that you drew
2: oh gosh um okay okay so i don't think i actually remember this i think maybe i saw it so my mom has all these boxes of like me and my brother's like old school books and
1: Oh, my mum too.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's all in the attic. And uh, she always tells this story of... Uh, so, basically, I had like a pretty... I had meningitis. Uh, how do you say it? Meningitis?
1: Oh. oh, right. Wow.
2: Yeah, when I was like six months old. And my mum always tells this story that they didn't know how I, if I was actually going to be able to... How I was going to grow up, basically, if I was going to be able mm. to do... To, to walk you know to talk all that kind of stuff but uh, as i was growing up as a kid and kind of developing she tells the story of one of my teachers when i was four or five or something showing her this drawing of cinderella because we'd watched the movie and then they told us draw Cinderella, <laughs> and apparently i dropped her sort of like running down the steps with like dress flowing behind her and like this this shoe uh, on the the steps how
3: fabulous
2: I think like that teacher, because my mom had uh, spoken to her and she was kind of like paying attention to my development, mm-hmm. my teacher was like, oh, it feels like he's, he's you know doing really well and he's going to be fine, basically, which, um, I don't know, that's like a thing that comes to mind as like a drawing or an early example that I'm drawing, I suppose. <laughs>
0: It feels like such a milestone. It's like this drawing of Cinderella, and also knowing that you are going to grow up fine. It's like this wonderful glow of a healthy drawing. <laughs> really I, I,
2: yeah, I suppose it's, it's, it's yeah. It's it, it was this weird thing where like, oh, it not it actually looks like he's really good at drawing compared to a lot of these other kids. So I I think probably means is okay which is i don't know it's just like this whole yeah it's it's it's, it's I don't, that's the thing that i that i sort of came up but yeah
0: hmm. so just talking about your cinderella piece uh <laughs> what about any of your pieces now what is your favorite one that you've made
2: oh no it was that cinderella piece it's like the oh, wow, okay. ever... <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing actually i think one of my favorite things that i've done and it's already like five years old, so it's a bit of a slightly, I feel slightly shameful that it's still one of my (laughs) favorite things that I've done. Uh, But it was this thing, this this illustration that I basically took one of my drawings from when I was a kid and redrew it now.
3: Oh, cool.
2: I don't actually have it on my website because again, this thing is from like 2015 or 2014 or something. So I really shouldn't have it on my portfolio. But uh, I still just really like what I did with it and the original drawing from when i was like i don't know six or seven or eight it was just like these three girls and there was a car and there's like a tree and there's like birds so it's all very simple and i redrew this and i made it sort of like a sort of almost apocalyptic scene with like these three girls on top of a sort of ruined old car looking out in the distance under this pink strong pink sky and that I, i think i put something in that illustration that i just it's something that i Kind of want all of my work to have and you know again as a commercial artist you don't always succeed in sort of putting all of yourself into your work unless it's for yourself and i think that's why it always comes to mind when people ask me about a favorite piece that i've done a more recent one is just this one that's on my website it's like this this these two these two guys on a tree sort of like kissing uh and i really like that one <laughs>
1: Oh, is that the one that's in your um, Twitter banner as well?
2: Oh, yes. Oh, there we go. It's on my Twitter banner because I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's... Rosie will love that oh, one. Have you yeah, seen that no, one, Rosie?
0: No, I love that one. It's just oh, like a yeah, yeah. sun dapple like, light tone. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's men kissing. It's just it's lovely.
2: <laughs> yeah, I do enjoy a good dapple and, and a good man kissing as well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> okay, on to another favourite thing, Ricardo. What is your favourite thing about the LGBTQ art community as a whole?
2: Oh, that's a little. Mm, it's just a little tough because I feel like between you know the pandemic and between my own choice to sort of step away a bit from social media for the past mm. few years, it feels like I've. I'm not super in touch with art community in general, okay. which just obviously I still see a lot of things. It, it, it's kind of subjective, you know, what, what is community, etc. Et yeah, uh, I, I feel like I'm not overly active. Like I'm not particularly outspoken in the spheres that I move in.
0: <laughs> well, now you can be, you're on the podcast.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, finally a podcast where I can finally say all the things I've always wanted to say. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know, I think just with specifically lgbtq art community i feel like in general i do a thing that i really like is that people are maybe like a lot of those artists are more in touch with their sort of sexual self in a way that's like very freeing and i don't mean that there's a lot of porn artists or there's a lot of erotic artists although you know i love those those artists as well but just in general i feel like when you're how just when you're queer just because of the society that we grow up in you have to face and come to terms with who you are sexually in a way that maybe uh, i'm trying to be as (laughs) as correct (laughs) and as trying not to generalize too much but but basically i feel like queer people have to because their sexuality is put front and center by everyone around them in in many times in a negative way like they're told oh this is not a good thing they have to come to terms with it themselves. So in a way, like I feel like they have this, a lot of the times you see like this freedom, even if the work isn't erotica or isn't porn or isn't necessarily about sex, I feel like you sense a sort of like freedom when it comes to sexuality and sensuality even, that's to really enjoy and I find really refreshing. This is maybe, I, I don't know if I was maybe too vague, but I don't know. <laughs>
0: do <laughs> not at all. Next question: Have you been finding life during the pandemic? I know it's like the the question that everybody asks everybody at the moment. But is there anything in particular that you've been doing that's been making it more fun, or that you've enjoyed it? Or...
2: Dungeons and dragons, I suppose. <laughs> 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 trying. You're playing a... it
0: all over Zoom. I, you're,
2: uh, trying a little bit. Like I, it's not the same as doing it in person, but uh, mm. you know, in I'm about to start uh, a game with... Anyway, this doesn't matter. Uh, Yeah, Dungeons & Dragons, um, I think has been a source of entertainment. And just like, uh, I mean, overall, I'm pretty lucky. I'm one of the very, very lucky people who gets to work from home. I have enough disposable income that I can do my shopping online if I need to, you know, all that, all that, all that great stuff of like people with a lot of privilege. <laughs> so I, I try not to, you know, I try to keep that in mind and I try not to whine and moan too much. But you know, I just definitely miss people. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been okay. I've been trying to exercise every day and trying to, I try to leave the house occasionally.
3: <laughs> yeah, I dare say
0: I've not left the house in about
2: four
0: days so yeah yeah oh rosy i <laughs> know oh, actually it's three it's three days it'll be four tomorrow <laughs>
1: <laughs> again i have something that forces me out of house, <laughs> so i'm in a pretty good position
2: I mean, really actually, i'm not that is actually so good like i really i'm like so jealous but uh <laughs> it's been okay i started watching rupaul's drag race finally <gasps>
0: Oh, we love a bit oh. of RuPaul. <laughs> I, avid fan. I, I think I've watched the American series, I don't know how many times, because it's such easy watching to have it on is. while you're working. Because, yeah, I get to work from home too. So I, it's just a really safe thing to have on. And, uh, yeah. I, I love it. It's so fun.
2: <laughs> no, I, I get it. Like I, I, for a long time, I, I think I, I didn't get it. And I, I gave it a good go a few times. It was very weird. I just like, I would watch an episode just be like, ah, oh, it's not really my thing. And then I would try again <laughs> a few years later with different groups, of people or an, an ex of mine. And I just like throughout the years, I was just like, I would give it a go. I'd be like, ah, oh, it's not my thing. And I'd give it a go again. It's not my thing. Uh, but I actually started listening to uh Bob the Drag Queen's uh podcast. Yeah, his his podcast was just so good and with Monet as well and uh, started listening to that. Oh,
1: I saw her in on the stage recently.
2: Oh man, because yeah, money was here in London, right?
1: Yeah, she was doing the Death Drop play. Yeah. So this was in between our lockdowns, yeah. and I managed to go and see it. It was a really good show, and it had other drag queens that I adore in it as well. And I was just like,
2: ah. I was actually really tempted. <laughs> I was so tempted, but I was just like, i ah, it's just so risky. this I don't know. And then I think it got cancelled.
1: Yeah, so we booked our tickets right at the end of the summer, just as we were coming out of the first lockdown, and I was like, well, it'll be. Christmas tree and we'll book it and we went to see it the first week of opening and this literally the second week I think it was less than a week since we'd seen it they shut it down because of the December lockdown but to be honest the theater was so well organized anybody that tried to take their mask off at any point that didn't have a reason for it they were like put your mask back on and everybody was spaced out and they kept the fresh air flowing in right until the last minute and then closed the doors and they were really good actually the the theater itself but they were brilliant on stage my god it was just like a scream absolute scream jealous
2: (laughs) Jealous. um yeah because you know turns out I I really liked them Because of their podcast like i li- without watching drag race i listened to their podcast for months and months like starting last year and i eventually like just a month ago in christmas i was just like you know what i'm gonna give it another go i'm gonna check out <laughs> season and watch that one because i really like him <laughs> and yeah i love it so <laughs> i'm uh, up to season 12 now so i think Yay!
1: <laughs> to be honest, I have not gone back and watched the American one yet because I've been watching the English and the uh, Canadian one. Oh,
2: my gosh.
1: I'm a huge Davina DeCampo fan.
2: Where's she from? Is she you Canada, UK?
1: she's one of the uk one she was the uk runner-up we actually got to meet her we did and i hugged her and gave her some flowers and i nearly cried i was such a <laughs> wuss i was just like oh my god you're real and you're so tall <laughs> it was a beautiful moment oh it was magical for me um i don't think i'll ever forget it i don't think i'll ever forget hugging davina decampo um but on to uh, a slightly different question um If you had a time machine, who's a historical figure that you would like to meet? If there is any. (laughs) There might not be any, but if there is, who would it be?
2: um, Weirdly enough, can I just cheat and kind of say like one of my great-grandparents. Is that weird? That's not cheating at all. I mean, they're not historical, but... uh... (laughs) Well,
0: they're
1: historical
2: for you. Yeah, I suppose they are, yeah. Yeah, just one of them. Just any of them, really. Uh... (laughs) I don't even know their names, uh, weirdly enough. Yeah, just because, like, my family is... Both sides of my family were like super poor, like back in that day. So there's really no record of anyone beyond my grandparents, great-grandparents. Don't really know anything about my, about our family, sort of older than that. So I kind of like would love to be able to talk to people and kind of like ask for stories or or ask for information because we don't have any. Yeah.
0: I love that. That's such a lovely choice as well, just to sort of go down your uh, historical family line and learn more about your history. Very
2: selfish choice when I could have said, oh, I don't know. uh, No.
0: Oh, no, I think that's brilliant. Weirdly enough, I find that totally unselfish, actually. We, I think it would feel more selfish if like, uh, wanting to meet like someone really, really famous from, from the past, even though it wouldn't be. I think it's nicer wanting to meet your family.
2: Yeah, I feel like at least with my family, I'd be able to get there and be like, chat with them. Whereas if it was someone famous, they'd be too busy. And I'd be like, oh great, I wasted my <laughs> my, my, <job." laughs>
0: my one chance to travel through history and I, I, can't, I can't even talk to them.
2: Yeah, I get past the security guards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so uh any suggestions for someone looking to get into the art world or uh the creative industries
2: (laughs) even though i'm not on social media much i feel like social media helped me a lot back in the day when i was on it like a lot even though it's a completely different beast now probably than it was like 10 or 8 years ago i feel like it was a massive source of motivation for me especially kind of like growing up in a the pretty small city in Portugal, like there was all these things that informed my work and that I enjoyed, like you know, DeviantArt and people on DeviantArt and like these video yeah. games and anime and all this nerdy stuff. I wouldn't have had <laughs> access to it if it was for like mm. social media and the internet, which at the mm. time I guess social media was DeviantArt and forums, like on video game forums.
1: Yeah, a bit, of, bit of MySpace.
2: And... Yeah, I, I didn't have MySpace at the time, but I did like. I did have like, so there was Deviantart and it was literally just Deviantarts. I was that boring. Um, I was always very resistant to like, to like the sort of social media where you kind of have to be yourself. So like the, the Facebooks and the Spice Spaces, I was always very, I didn't want to put my photographs and my, my name out there. Uh, I'm still a little bit like
0: i mean that's so wise really it's like keeping your own information whereas everyone else is just like throwing (laughs) it out into the void for everyone to find i mean
2: yeah I, i feel like you know if that's your thing that's completely fine i just like I've, I've had enough experiences of reading posts that I wrote like five, ten years ago <laughs> and cringing all the way from like, <laughs> top to bottom and just be like, ooh, I'll click, read your click,
1: old click. tweets and stuff. Exactly. Fun.
2: And just like the <laughs> emojis that you used even, I don't even <laughs> know. Mm. So like, I don't really like putting myself out there like that. But, which is in a way why I think a podcast is actually much better or even just like video something or like a chat or a presentation because at least... That's a much truer representation of who you are and they're like the inflection like the way that you talk
0: well they always say that first response you have to something isn't your true response it's your second response because the first one's always like your immediate reaction oh i remember telling you that (laughs) yeah but the second one is uh when you're uh it's your true self because that's when your where your morals and everything come in and i think that that's kind of where sort of social media kind of gets uh, muddied up because social media is so much like that's the the front line the immediate thing the 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 response that you get But when it comes possibly when you do post proper things real pictures to Instagram like drawings and and then doing like podcasts and then like you know vlog videos and stuff like that when you've spent time not overly edit them but just sort of be more concise with yourself and not put out into the world the thing that you're going to feel awkward about you know (laughs) like you've shared too much
2: yeah I feel like a lot of people's ways of using Twitter is just like thinking out loud and again there's nothing wrong with that if that's your thing but it's just like i couldn't be me basically
1: <laughs> and kind of going off of that what is the best advice that you've ever received just in general it doesn't have to be specifically about art um and also the best advice that you could probably give somebody mm,
2: okay so i uh i feel like for me specifically so i struggle a lot with like self-motivation and like sort of like finishing things when it's for myself and I think that this is a feeling that a lot of people sort of, like, sort of like contend with. There's actually a thing that I sort of can. There is this book called uh, Art and Fear by David Bales, and there's this quote from it. Um, and this is gonna sound so pretentious, but I actually put that quote as I it as my wallpaper, just so I have it in front of me as like a thing that I can I can sort of read and remind myself, which is basically do not try to be perfect because whatever it is that you have in your head that might it might seem perfect in your head so you're like scared of putting it on paper because that probably will mean failure because nothing that you do is always going to be as perfect as it is in your head but anything that exists out in the world is always going to be better than anything that does not exist and it's only real in your head so that's what i kind of like try to keep in mind just try try and make the things that you want to make even if you it feels like you're not succeeding or that you're failing and it's not as as great as you want it to be it's always going to be better than that thing only existing inside your mind because then it's doesn't really
1: exist at all i love that i think that's brilliant advice
2: yeah it's like it's a really good book i, I just I, I got it as an audiobook and it's just like a few hours long and it's full of like these these gems that are really good
1: oh <laughs> i have to share that on the twitter won't we <laughs> I have to look it up and give it a share get other people reading it um and i suppose that kind of answers our last question as well because we were going to ask you what your favorite quote was but i guess you've kind
3: of that's, already answered i, that. No, really.
2: I actually okay this is like, a, I'll, I can read it to you guys, it's, I don't think it's too long, probably. No, go
3: ahead, go ahead.
2: You guys can just take <laughs> it out if it's too long. Uh, but I just, I just really like it so much, uh, and basically, it goes like this. To require perfection is to invite paralysis. The pattern is predictable. As you see error in what you have done, you steer your work toward what you imagine you can do perfectly. You cling ever more tightly to what you already know you can do away from risk and exploration, and possibly further from the work of your heart. You find reasons to procrastinate, since not work is to not make mistakes. Believing that artwork should be perfect, you gradually become convinced that you cannot make such work. You are correct. Sooner or later, since you cannot do what you are trying to do, you quit. And in one of those perverse little ironies of life, only the pattern itself achieves perfection—a perfect death spiral. You misdirect your work, you stall, and you quit. So yeah, that's 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 the quote. It's literally like, if you procrastinate so much, don't do anything. That nothingness is the only perfect thing you're gonna be able to achieve because nothing is perfect, really
1: that's a lovely quote to end on thank you so much for coming on and being interviewed we've really enjoyed you being here and being our guest, it's been brilliant
2: no, thank you so much for, for having me Like this podcast is, is really fun yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't you know, go on too many tangents, I, I do that sometimes no, so, yeah.
0: I love listening to everything you said, honestly like having these conversations with other artists it's fascinating and so inspirational
2: oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad <laughs> thank you
0: Wasn't that so cool? (laughs) Words to live by. If you enjoyed listening
3: to Ricardo, you can totally go check out his beautiful work on his website, www.ricardobesser.com. Now for a little break before our next special guest, let's hear me talk about Simeon Solomon, a member of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood who many have forgotten about.
0: So, the person I'm gonna talk about today is Simeon Solomon, mm-hmm. which is kind of great to say. Simeon Solomon is like very automatic here. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was born in London to frankly a huge artistic Jewish family of about eight siblings. Obviously not like the biggest family out there, but eight is quite a lot. Like that's ten altogether, isn't it? And he was encouraged to train at the Royal Academy probably because he was the youngest and his brother and sister were also painters. Yeah, so like a big artistic family. And actually like his brother and sister were actually quite well known. Like his sister exhibited at the Royal Academy, Mm -hmm. which is also really cool. Yay for female painters Mm -hmm. in the Victorian era. (laughs) But yeah, Simeon was of note for painting Jewish life and same sex desire. He was a pivotal figure of the Victorian avant-garde scene and he specialized in Orientalism. Now, I'm not sure that would be, like, cultural appropriation in today's eyes, Um, but he did it with honour, so I think that's okay. Plus, he probably imagined the freedoms of that culture at the time as being, like, in line with his own aesthetic dreams and desires and stuff, so all that waffle and I mean Orientalism is so much more visually stimulating than what England had to offer at the time I mean it was very much like pinned in it was only just starting to like break out because you had people who were going off exploring and bringing these things back and like bringing the other world to England so there was a lot of people indulging in it
1: yeah it's I don't think people realise how fortunate we are now with the way we're able to access things on the internet we're able to see different cultures and places and art and histories. You can take a virtual tour of a museum on the opposite side of the world and learn all about that culture, but back then it was all new and exciting. There were things they'd never even seen or heard of before, so for them it must have been like exciting and bizarre all at the same time
0: yeah well i mean you think about the grey exhibition you would only hear about things and then you would only, and then to see it in person you could see possibly at the very later on maybe like a photograph of something but it'd always be in black and white or whatever but before that it would be drawings of things and as we know drawings never actually depict <laughs> like what something actually looks like properly. well if it's a medieval drawing then it definitely doesn't yeah <laughs> and unless you're like uh casper david frederich Or David Caspar Frederic. He was so good at painting landscapes. Anyway, there was loads of exhibitions and explorations um, going on at that time, um, and the upper class were like pretty into exotic discoveries. But anyway, most importantly, he was part of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. Oh, I see why you've picked (laughs) him now. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, me? Like the brother? Oh, like Pre-Raphaelite? Never have guessed. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Me pick an old artist? Are you kidding? But the thing is, I always forget about him. You always think of the Rossetti's and then Hunt and then Malay, like you kind of forget that there are other people involved, but maybe that's just like our brains. We can only cope with like a few names to remember. Sadly though, uh, he was arrested twice and imprisoned because of his sexuality. In 1873, he was caught having sex with a 60 year old stable hand in some public restrooms. Obviously they wouldn't be having sex in the restrooms in public if it was acceptable Mm -hmm. and they had a, Place to go. So he was he was caught, and then of course, like they slapped attempted robbery on it too. And I'm like, you never really know, like, if the reports are real. Mm. Because so much of it would be bias at the time. Sadly, the damage these scandals had on his artistic career forced him into the workhouse for the last like 20 years of his life, which is really sad. And I think through a lot of LGBTQ history, You do see that because society is forcing them out. It's almost secret's been discovered and they don't like the secret and their careers get destroyed. And I hate that. I think
1: I think people forget. Obviously, there are still stigmas in this country, but it was still illegal in this country until quite recently. You know, when you think of the grand scheme of things, it's only in the last hundred years that it's been made legal because it was still illegal in World War II. Because I mean, look what happened to Alan Turing yeah yeah and obviously it's still illegal in other parts of the world which is mad when you think
0: about it like to think of ourselves as a progressive country but clearly we're not it's so recent and still like so current but it's like shining a light on these atrocities it's paramount Mm. today you need to point out what was wrong in the past so like i said this is it's sad that he his career kind of um Floundered after that. But the piece I want to talk about is a watercolor piece and it's called Sappho and Arena in the Garden. I need to say that again because I'm going to mispronounce it. <laughs> Sappho and Arena in a garden at Mytilene. Mytilene? You want to pronounce that for me, Jenny? <laughs> Sappho and Arena in a garden at My Mytilene? Mytilene, possibly
3: yeah it's so funny
0: i'll I'll read things out when we aren't recording and i'm like yeah i think i've got that down and then it comes to the actual like reading it (laughs) i'm like uh
1: my to my to sorry if we've pronounced that wrong guys but i'm pretty sure it's Sappho and erina
0: (laughs) yeah you used to us butchering names Um, we try
1: so hard i watch so many youtube videos learning how to pronounce things before i say (laughs) them just to make sure i'm getting them right
0: I try, I try, I really do. And then I just butcher, butcher away, I don't mean to. Then anyway, this this piece was made in 1864 and it's a watercolor piece. I got like a really great like description of it from anothermag.com and they worded it so perfectly, I'm just gonna who am i to change it so i'm just I'm having a look you. at the right now it
1: almost looks <laughs> the texture he's got into it, it almost looks like it's been done with
0: pastels it's got that almost like that really soft it's beautiful it's so tender and real and it's so palpable like it feels as if you're able to touch their cheeks that sensuality and i'm just like oh my god i haven't touched anyone in ages <laughs> oh that's
1: <of> all, problems <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah at least i, I can was... touch myself Wait, i mean no, i mean <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna bra- embrace that.
1: <laughs> I wish you guys could see; she's literally hugging herself <laughs> over the video
0: call. Cool. Oh, <laughs> um, I'll tell you what. AnotherMag.com described this as: Sappho and Arena is a bold and joyful poetic manifesto of same-sex love and desire, symbolized by the commitment of fidelity, the beauty of music and poetry, the blessing of the gods, the haven of a sheltered garden, and the potential of a new spring. It's so beautiful i'm just taking
1: in all the little bits like in the background like the animals and the instruments yeah. there's mm-hmm. like i can see a piece of paper which might have the poetry side of things on i'm guessing i love how
0: the fabric's yeah. been drawn it's beautiful to me it kind of it reflects this um inner desire to want to share that tenderness and especially as well i love the fact that it's a male artist a male gay artist painting mm. two women exploring it because it's almost like sexuality is so much more than gender and you know it, it, it's the acceptance of like just a situation and a tenderness mm. between two people. And I think that he does that so well. Oh, I get a little, I get shivers down my legs thinking about it, cause it's so, it's so loving. And for someone to have his career damaged by something so like horrific from the outside world, but to make su- such lovely stuff like that, it's like, Oof. but his public career did dwindle of course and he never exhibited after being arrested but he became quite famous and a lot of his followers who shared his sensibilities would Ooh. collect his work like oscar wilde uh obviously which is fantastic and count eric stenbock who's another poetry man. <laughs> <laughs> poetry man it's it's weird actually like Oscar Wilde and uh, Stenbock, they look pretty similar. They've got very similar faces, but maybe it's just like the black and white photograph and I'm being face blind or something, but um, yeah, it's it's nice to know that the people who can acknowledge it properly at the time did. They gave it longevity and his work is still being exhibited like uh, in London now and across the world. He's continued to leave a mark, which is good, but yeah. as as my little piece sad ending to a
1: a great talent it is 20 years in a workhouse that's
0: a long old time to be in a workhouse did I say this earlier? understandably he succumbed to alcoholism as well
1: yeah I mean that makes sense you know coping with the harsh realities of the world and I suppose because of the time frame that it was in as well he didn't really get much help from, mm-hmm. like, family. They weren't on the same page. No. Then it was almost like a shame, wasn't it? You know, they considered it... Yeah. You know, they didn't want to be seen mm. to be associating with him, even if they were their family members, because it was seen as a not the thing to do in social circles, which is awful. That he ended up in that position, mm-hmm. considering he had so many brothers and sisters, I suppose as well, because he was from a religious family. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's it's sad. sad,
0: but he has made some really beautiful pieces, and and that one in particular, like I said, it it spans beyond like any kind of gender, and he's been able to highlight something that's so true. I think in something so simple. So yeah, that was my that was my choice,
3: and I just wanted to share it with you. <laughs> I wasn't born into a family, I was born into a colour, a group, I had pink blankets and pink walls and a red hatred for the colour, I grew up into pink friends with pink nails and pink cheeks, and I grew a green envy for their shades. She had pink lips and a pink laugh and I loved her with a blue heart that only she saw. And now I must take the blankets and dye them blue, because I'm done lying in the rosy colour that was my childhood. Trying to find out more information about the writer of this poem has proven difficult. In a way, the inability to discover the author is in line with the secrecy many must feel with sharing their true emotions. However, you can find the original poem by searching for Lionel Richter on Pinterest. For our final guest, we have
0: Chicago-based artist, Shroompunk. Between having a history in classical oil painting and now creating creatures for the furry community, he hopes someday there will be plenty more examples of his variety of different works so we can put them together in a gladiator-style arena and determine which one is best.
1: Hello, Drunk Art listeners. We are joined by the amazing Shroompunk today. Hello.
4: Hello, I'm glad to be here today. <laughs> oh, it's so lovely having some amazing guests
1: on. How are you over there?
4: Oh, I'm doing just fine. It's a little earlier here than it is by you, so I've heard, but it's a nice day out, not too much snow. <laughs> so yeah, um, uh, would you love to introduce yourself and maybe like your job and creative style and whereabouts you're, you're living right now? Yeah, so generally online, I tend to go by Eli Shroom. I live right outside of Chicago, which a lot of people could probably tell by my voice. I've heard from a lot of people. I've got a really (laughs) Chicagoan accent. (laughs) I'm kind of a starting out freelance artist, not a fully supporting myself on it just yet sort. I've been doing tutoring and stuff as kind of a quote-unquote day job, and then doing a lot of freelance digital commissions mostly. I keep on trying to get people to do the oil painted commissions, but you know nobody's <laughs> nobody's willing to be my Renaissance patron just yet.
1: Um, Might be long though. Might be long. Yeah you'll get there. You'll get there
0: for sure. <laughs> well
4: come now can can you imagine making a living painting oil painted Renaissance portraits of furries. <laughs> That's a wonderful niche to go
1: into. I think that would be brilliant. You just need that one first buyer and then it will explode.
4: Well, I've gotten one that I've done, but it was a trade, so (laughs) we'll have to wait on that first buyer. But yeah, I do a lot of furry art, but I do other stuff too. I was actually trained uh, rather classically in Renaissance-style oil painting in undergrad, so... I went, oh, I've got all of this traditional academic art learning. I'm going to go and I'm going to draw furries. (laughs) Nothing wrong
1: with that, all. I think it's brilliant that you can apply that skill somewhere in a completely different realm.
4: Well, see, I can do furries in beautiful landscapes now. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. You're versatile. Excellent. (laughs) So let's uh, let's see. What was the first thing you did today? The very first thing. (laughs) Oh, geez. The first thing I did today was probably wake up, roll over, grab my phone and go, do I have to get out of bed? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> once i had gotten out of bed the second thing i did was decided that i was going to draw a picture of a robot in a bath with a bunch of capybaras. so that was kind of how the day has begun. Were, were you dreaming about that was that the first thing you thought of and you're like
0: i just need to get this on paper
4: no, I was scrolling on Twitter. I saw somebody posting another video of capybars in a bath, as happens sometimes. And I was like, you know what? I have to draw that, except I have to make it funnier. So hopefully it's funny. <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing it, I would have thought. Well, I, I popped up a little sketch on Twitter. It's, I don't think I'm going to do a finished run, although if I rendered that, that would be quite the interesting procrastination <laughs> effort.
1: I'm just scrolling up because I want to see the capybara. Sorry, I'm on uh,
0: searching for this sketch now because I'm like, I need to see it. <laughs> Literally, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> well, this is what it is, isn't it? We're spending so much time at the computer. It's like, as soon as you're having a conversation about anything you're like, Oh, actually, yeah, I want to know. I want to fill that in in my, my mind. Like, can I see?
4: Can I see? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and now that we've got our cell phones in our hands all the time, it's like I can fill in any conversation just by Googling it. Absolutely.
0: Pretty much. I love
4: the color choice. It was, you know, just time to be a little bit neon about my capybaras. Rosie is on board with the neon color scheme. She's
1: a neon queen.
0: Yeah, I tend to use the hashtag neon gush because I'm just like, <laughs> I want to saturate all my uh, drawings with like wonderful neon colors. And sometimes they're a little bit erotic too. So uh, neon gush seems to um, go hand in hand with that. <laughs> yeah that seems pretty fitting because it
1: sounds a bit like because gush sounds like gushes. for some reason it's just making me think of like sweets but there we go (laughs) so shroom or eli during the interview
4: i I pretty much go by either i've answered to all kinds of funny things (laughs) online (laughs) eli's generally what i go by (laughs) out in real life but everybody for some reason misses when i try to say that my name is eli online and Mm -hmm. they just all call me shroom anyways so i'm like okay i'm shroom Okay, no, that's fine. I'll stick with Shroom. <laughs> <you all then. laughs> so, Shroom, can you
1: describe your artwork in three words?
4: Um, So, let's see. Three words. Psychedelic is a word. Printmaking is a word. Mm-hmm. And I guess cozy. Everybody tells me that it's cozy.
1: Oh, well, that's a nice mixture. A cozy but psychedelic picture.
4: Yeah, kind of the emotion of listening to psychedelic rock while lounging in an oversized chair. <laughs> so
0: when did you get into making art did you study it or was it something that you developed in your own time you mentioned something about classical painting which sounds amazing transferring that into fairy work so tell us a little bit more about that
4: Yeah, so I actually started art seriously when I was like 11 or 12 or something, you know. As serious as an 11 or 12 (laughs) year old is wandering around with my sketchbook, you know. I'm sitting there at social events drawing instead of talking to people, that kind of thing. Oh, we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. And I was very intensive about that, and a, a little bit neurotic about keeping my sketchbooks organized, so I wow. have them all numbered. So I got through about 40-some sketchbooks by the time <laughs> I ended high school, and then ended up going to school for art and psychology. So I did a painting-slash-psychology double major at a smaller school, and the school had a very much renaissance focus with the art. It was very traditional stuff, because it was a liberal arts college, it wasn't in act actual art school art school that's devoted towards kind of staying up on the trends so they kind of had an older school method but it was a lot of fun honestly because I don't see a lot of people seeming to have that sort of a background I spent four years oil painting you know how how many people that are out there selling a bunch of furry art were spending four years oil painting.
1: Sorry, I was just gonna say, was there a particular piece of artwork that kind of inspired you to go down the furry route? Or did was it just something that you developed on your own?
4: Honestly, I blame Dungeons and Dragons. Um I don't know I don't know how many people in the furry community can blame Dungeons and Dragons, but actually I'm fairly new to the furry community. Like twenty sixteen is when I hopped into that. I've been doing art for a lot longer than I've been doing mm. the furry stuff, but What happened was I got invited into a Dungeons and Dragons campaign with a friend, and I went ahead and made a Kenku character. They're bird people. And of course, I just sucked at drawing it. I was like, this is the worst thing that I have ever drawn. I cannot draw this. I have to practice. So I started drawing a bunch of them. And spontaneously, this was back in the days of Tumblr, spontaneously my Tumblr account that had had like 100 followers for the past six seven years suddenly had 700 in a month because i kept drawing kenku characters and i was like oh i think i've happened upon gold here so i ended up spending a while trying to teach myself how to draw the furry stuff because it was just something that people were enjoying and the people that were talking to me because of it were really cool people. You know, I kind of hadn't really belonged to a specific art community online prior to that. I was just kind of floating around, throwing my art into the abyss, going, Hello, community find me. Well the community found me. So I went, yeah. Okay, I'm I accept this. And nowadays, you know, ninety percent of what I draw is furry art. And i'd say at least a good eight percent of the rest is pictures of mountains mm.
0: <laughs> so with drawing fairies and and painting uh, these wonderful landscapes what is your artistic process do you have one that you always go to
4: um there there can be a couple of different processes it kind of varies depending on if it is a commissioned work or if it is a personal work so i do a lot of commissions these days And in general, with that kind of a thing, I'll have whatever, you know, images I've been given by the commissioner or I also work off of just descriptions because I know how frustrating it can be for people trying to get the very first drawing of their character done. And I work with them to get an idea and try to visualize everything. And then I go, okay, what am I feeling? What energy am I feeling off of this character if I don't have specific poses or expressions or stuff like that, kind of building into that. A lot of it, though, tends to be specified by the commissioner, so it's just largely trying to bring their ideas to life. For my own personal work, it starts usually with an image, and it can be an image of anything. It can be I'm browsing around on Etsy, spending more money than I should, and I find (laughs) an interesting shirt. And I'm like, oh, I think I would like to draw a character in this shirt. I definitely wouldn't wear it though. Or sometimes it's something like, I went and I saw a beautiful thing out hiking and now I'm going to have to draw a landscape again. You know, tie my hands behind my back. I have to produce more landscapes, <laughs> I can't help it. It's picking inspiration up along the way and you feel compelled to explore that
0: within your pieces, right?
4: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a compulsion. It's like, okay, I'm going to produce this. One of the things that I'm working on right now is actually a uh, reproduction of that famous Rococo painting, The Swing, if you're familiar. Yeah. And I am doing a furry version (laughs) of that. Is that oil painted as well? It's not actually painted. I'm doing it digitally. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing it as part of a zine that I am working on where I am collaborating with a friend of mine, actually, whose name is Shay. Uh, She is relatively new to the furry stuff as well, but we're doing a thing of Corbids throughout history and placing them into historical context and the one that came to me was just how hilarious it would be to reproduce this artwork of the swing with bird furries but as i've been working on this 15-20 hours deep into the thing i'm realizing that this is actually a fairly serious piece of artwork i thought it was going to be silly in the beginning but this has been intensive Well, it's amazing how uh, pieces that you're working on develop.
0: You'll start off with an idea, but generally it explores itself. And you're kind of just along the journey with it, you know. So when you make something, you're like, oh, wow, actually, I've made this amazing piece of artwork. When you had no idea what it would be in the beginning.
4: Oh, for sure. I mean, honestly, I show my commissioners their sketches before I start working on anything else. But the sketch is only a rough concept of what it's actually going to look like. I can't even trust my own sketches. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we discussed this the other day with another artist about how early sketches are never anything to do, like, with what the final piece will actually look like. You're just like, oh, please, please, I apologize, it looks terrible right now, but it will look better.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I really haven't had too much issue, at least, with people getting upset because the sketch looks bad. They trust the process, so that's been good. People are pretty respectful in the community that i'm servicing
1: (laughs) i think it must be so tricky when you've got a customer a customer or client that doesn't get how to visualize things i think that could be for any field couldn't it? even if it's something as random as interior design you're trying to describe something to someone and they just can't in, in their head visualize it the fact that you've got a community that really kind of gets on board with it and understands it is brilliant
4: well i mean i also have the people that are sitting there going i'm struggling with visualizing this i trust you do this for me And they kind of are willing to set aside the expectation because they can't figure out what exactly to describe it as and say, okay, you are an artist, you've been doing this for years, I trust that you're going to be able to make my character look good. I mean, there's a lot of trust in the community that's just been really cool because you grow up hearing about furries online, and if you're not part of the community, you're not hearing great things because people could be really nasty towards the community. Yeah. And then you stumble into it, and it's like, wow, these people are actually really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose from an outsider's perspective, they just don't get it, do they? I suppose it's like fear of the unknown, isn't it, for a lot of people? So they then kind of take the approach of, well, it's weird, and I'm going to take the out of it and be mean about it you know
4: oh yeah absolutely i've i've got family members that are just absolutely bewildered they're like i'm happy you're making money but why doing that
1: whatever makes you happy and yeah it it is a strange thing that people feel this need on social media actually that feeds very nicely into our next question which i'll ask in a moment but it's this weird thing on social media isn't it everybody almost feels that they can have an opinion just because they have an opinion they like to put it forward and it's like not always necessary is it i find it very bizarre As that feeds into our next question, if you had to choose, what's your favorite of the three or the lesser of most evils? Twitter, Instagram or Facebook?
4: (laughs) Uh, Twitter has actually been the place that I have made all of my business. I don't even have a Facebook. I've never had one. I was when I was younger. I was very twitchy about being on something with the idea of my actual self being on there. It's kind of Mm. a thing I'd imagine among queer youth. And so I gravitated towards things like Tumblr and eventually Instagram and Twitter and all of that. Um, My Twitter account fun fact is actually from 2008. So this thing's been around for quite some time. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. I I let it die for many years while I switched over to Tumblr, but then, you know, Tumblr kind of went downhill and I went and hopped back over to Twitter. (laughs) And Almost all of my commission work and stuff has come through there. I've gotten a couple things from other sites and I go on Instagram to step away from the chaos because basically nobody interacts with me on there. <laughs> so I could just go and post pictures of trees on Instagram all that I want. and Nobody's going to bother me about it.
1: I love the dioramas that you've got on your Instagram, like the one that you were making for a class the other day, like the beach diorama and like the little matchbox. It was so cute.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. I've I've been having fun doing little online uh, Zoom lessons with some students that I was tutoring and just teaching them art class stuff. So I teach them different stuff. Yeah. I've been getting really into the dioramas. I've got a half finished one and I just need to pull my oil paints out and do the backdrop. But it has been like three weeks and I have not pulled the oil paints out. (laughs) Sometimes it's a process and it takes a little bit of time for you just to sort of remember to do something. (laughs) Oh, oh, it, it does. <laughs> but I, I got the diorama stuff because of doing volunteer work at a uh, museum. So you get to see a lot of big dioramas. I'm like, I can make little ones.
1: I love it when you find a really bizarre one in a museum, because like the Victorians, sometimes you find like, a Victorian diorama and you're just like, were they high when they made that? Why are the frogs sword fighting in this diorama? <laughs> like...
4: I think my favorite old piece of weird taxidermy is from La Specola in Florence, Italy. I think it's like the oldest natural history museum in Europe. And so you can imagine some of the taxidermy in there is ancient. And they've got this hippopotamus that you can clearly see looking at the hippopotamus that the person that received the skin of this animal (laughs) had not seen what the animal looked like. I think I know this
0: one! It's, like, completely packed full, isn't it? Like, so it's this pristine-skinned,
4: blown-up rhino, isn't it? Like, there's
0: no flaps in the skin. (laughs) I'm
4: not recalling if that was the exact one at La Specula or a different taxidermy atrocity, but La Specula one, I do remember that they didn't have the legs right. They were, like, dramatically wrong. And it was quite funny to see this stuff. And I was visiting Florence with a study abroad group. And I'm there and I'm like, oh, all of this beautiful stuff. And I go into this museum and it's like, what is this?
1: <laughs> oh, man, I've just figured bad hippotaxidermy and like some of them are brilliant.
4: Oh, bad taxidermy can be hysterical. Oh, it's like the
1: lion where she just looks really shocked. <laughs> <laughs>
4: with that wonderful
0: conversation. Something a little bit more serious. Do you feel that the art world has been more accepting and made space for the LGBTQ
4: artists? I think that it depends a lot On what art world you're talking about. There's the art community online where I feel that people are fairly open and they're willing to welcome people, but there's also the academic art world. And I generally just speak of the fact that I went to school for a bachelor's degree and don't say too often that I actually went to school to try and get a graduate degree in printmaking. Yeah. I ended up dropping out after the first semester due to rampant transphobia. Oh my. It was just this relentless onslaught of people that would refuse to use the correct pronouns. They would refuse to use the correct name. They would call me things like good girl and all of that stuff when I did something right, which you wouldn't even want to call an adult woman that. No. Why would you call an adult woman good girl? That's what you call a dog. Just like blatant disrespect, really. Yeah. It was ridiculous, and then my uh, final critique for that first semester was really the thing that nailed it down when one of the professors who had had issue with me the whole time decided in front of guest critiquers to point out that I was just making up a fake persona to make a political statement that I was actually a woman. That's horrific. It was horrid and... I tried to call her out for it, and actually got told that I needed to just stick to the critique and finish it up. And there was all this drama because I left the room after that, I wasn't going to sit in there and let them see me fuming in anger. And other people started yeah. leaving the room after me. My classmates were actually, in general, pretty supportive. There were a couple that weren't. In general, my classmates were with me and I actually had a couple of professors in there that were pretty chill too. And understood that what had happened was wrong but the program director defended the person who was saying that i was some kind of fraud and i think her exact words towards me were well if you just go using he in this it was it was a statement describing the work if you just go using key in this then oh, people are going to think god. that you're actually a real man what does that even mean to mean what is a real man sort <laughs> of bollocks sorry that well a- I know what she meant I think she meant well then people might think that you're a cisgender man uh-huh yeah. so I I yeah. left that program pretty much immediately after that and I wasn't the only one that actually left that program um it wasn't yeah. a very good one towards people of color either oh my god It was one of those. As far as I'm aware, the program is going down in flames at this point, as it should. Well, good I mean the thing is like what does
0: gender or anything have to do with the work that you're making the work that you're making is is a pure thing and it comes from this other element you know it goes beyond gender it goes beyond identity yeah we find those within the work but you shouldn't be judged upon that or like
4: oh I I hate that you've had to experience that that's horrible well most people in that program were very much about the identity art era of art history where they felt that everybody should be making artwork to reflect their identity and it was this political thing for them I had a disabled classmate that they were upset because she was making work about disability but she wasn't making work about how sad she was to be disabled and how much it hurt Yeah, they were upset because I had gone and said you know what no I'm not going to make artwork about being Queer. I'm not going to make artwork about being trans. I'm going to make artwork about being interested in science. I actually made a little little zine that was riffing on Victorian-era scientific discoveries that were, of course, oftentimes trashy, you know. <laughs> oh, yes, we only know how the world works mm-hmm. in the, the 1800s. Um, so I was, I made a little thing riffing on that, and I thought that it was, you know, a funny thing, and then everybody was upset because why didn't you make an identity thing about this and trying to read identity politics into a book about carnivorous mushrooms.
1: I mean, we've discussed on Drunk Art before and I've I'm, I'm always been very much of the opinion. I think that's part of the reason we wanted to start Drunk Art is this very insular art community that you find. And it's the same. I've said it before on an episode with opera and ballet and like some of the really fine arts. It's all very inbred, isn't it? And there's that like community mm-hmm. that are trying to keep it close knit and tight together. And they don't want to let the, the common folk or the different folk in. And I absolutely abhor it. Yeah. It sounds very much like it was that kind of place. And again, we've said before that art doesn't always have to mean something. You can just make something because you like the way it looks. And your tutors sound very much like, oh, it has to have heart-wrenching themes. or And it's like, why can't you just make something cool for the sake of it, you know? Mm -hmm.
4: It was also fun because I was the only one there who had come from a liberal arts college instead of an art school background. And so I kind of had a different background a different view of how stuff was going to be I was absolutely taken aback because I was somebody that fell in love with the concept of printmaking like you know I'm freaking Benjamin Franklin over here I'm going to distribute my pamphlets to people. <laughs> I was sitting there going this is a quick and easy way that I can reproduce a lot of artwork to share with a lot of people yeah and that was kind of why I fell for it was the idea of you know the mass-produced zines the mass-produced prints stuff like that because I could Share it around. Mm -hmm. And I get in there and it's like, and here's how to make an art book and you can make three copies of it and sell them all to private collections of schools and stuff like that.
1: Like ridiculous amounts of money. (laughs) Yeah,
4: there was such a disconnect. And you know what? I am never going to fault an artist for selling their art book to a school for big money. But I feel like the whole intent of the place was to make sure that that was your only goal. It was like, you need to have room for people that want to do art for the people like I do, and not just trying to produce something that's going to go into a collection somewhere and be handled maybe twice a year. I would love to, you know, have people purchase my zines and tell me a year from now that they wore them out, they read them so much.
1: Well, that's the thing. I think people forget, don't they, that those things that are produced for the mass, in like a hundred years, they'll be so rare that they'll be in a collection anyway, because art informs people so much. I mean, if you hark back to days where common folk didn't know had to read or write they'd have to look to get their stories and their news and their information and i think art is able to provide that in such a way isn't it
3: mm-hmm.
1: i mean you can go and look in i think the vna has a brilliant collection and i was watching a program about it and they go out and they try and collect things even that are like mass-produced at the moment i think i can't think what the name of the group are but the one that protests all the um climate change in the uk Rosie, you'll know who i'm on about the extinction rebellion that's it extinction rebellion they're, they're all over the world but in the UK, we have them, but even like their stickers that they produce, which they produce hundreds of, is now in the v collection. I think these tutors that expect you to produce this one glorious thing and that's that, they kind of need to get their head in the real world, really, don't they?
4: Well, I think that in a lot of cases with the academic art world, that they don't have to see themselves as existing within the community of art. They kind of see themselves in this insular section of, you know, these are the top prime artists and stuff like that, they look down on art that they see as vulgar, lesser forms of artwork. Mm. I remember still, I uh, had a professor in undergrad that I was doing sculptural work for that class, needed to do sculpture as part of my extra classes for the painting major, and she had us molding our hands or our feet or our whatever parts of the body. You can imagine at least one person molded something vulgar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> She had us molding a body part And I produced this pair of headphones that were hands that were shaped like they were cradling your face. Oh, wow. And she's looking at it and she's like, this is awful. You need to melt the hands so that they're not recognizable. If it's recognizable, that makes it tacky. And I then went on to win an award in the school art show with that, with the hands totally unaltered. So
0: See, it's entirely subjective, especially within schools and education, especially within the art industry. Art teachers, they embody Mm -hmm. so much of their own ideals and they think of themselves as being these professors of dictating what things should and shouldn't be. When really, when it comes to art, there needs to be way more of this fluid ideal. We do not want reproductions of reproductions of reproductions. We want new ideas. And when someone's shooting that down, it's like, well, no wonder why you fucking would leave a program. Ugh, I wouldn't be able to stand for that. I'm too much of a punk when it comes to wanting to speak your own mind, you know?
4: Oh, for sure, for sure. My, my undergrad program overall was pretty good about letting you do what you wanted to do. I I kind of had to do a little bit of battle for my thesis from undergrad because I wanted to do something that included poetry in it. And the painting professors, of course, were all nervous about the idea of doing art with poetry for the fear of it being like an illustration for a kid's book kind of situation. I ended up being approved to do it after fighting for a little while because I was of the mindset that, okay, you know what, I'm just gonna have to produce something and show what I'm trying to do here so that they understand. And once they understood, and I think that that might be a part of what it is, is that try to introduce something new to somebody that thinks that they know what they're doing with everything, and they hear something new and unfamiliar, and they're like, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. This isn't the way that you do it. But in the end, my painting advisor ended up being a great supporter of that project. Real cool dude. But after the resistance in the beginning, you know, and I think that they need to kind of, in the academic art world, look at the fact that they're putting forth this resistance and go, What can we do to do a better job about this so that the people who aren't willing to or have the energy to keep on fighting it until we give in are able to do what they want to do?
1: It's strange, isn't it, that we've got these art academics that are very insular and it has to be done in a certain way because when you think about a good art teacher in my mind is somebody that encourages you to try everything and make mistakes and push the boundaries and when you think about like some of the great artists that we now like hail at the time they were considered like revolutionaries and those are the academics love them but when someone tries to recreate that in the current time frame they're like no bad it's just such a bizarre repetition of behaviors isn't
4: it Yeah, yeah, I mean, we keep on going back to, well, Van Gogh wasn't appreciated in his time, but we're not going to appreciate you in your time. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, come on, people! We need more voices that are distinct, and that's... I think that the, the queerness, and also people of color and other people of marginalized identities as well, that that is a part of why there is a weirdness about it, because you don't see as much of people with marginalized identities being the ones that are teaching these programs. Mm. And so the people that are in control of the program are looking at the the new ideas that are coming from somebody who's experienced they couldn't imagine for themselves and going, what is this?
1: It kind of feeds nicely into this question as well. So what impact does actually being a part of the LGBTQ community have on the work that you produce? Does it directly influence it or is it more of just like it takes a back seat and it's its own thing? How would you describe it?
4: Sometimes I'm just sitting here drawing gay furries, so that definitely <laughs> that definitely happens, but, you know, it's always kind of had a grip on my artwork, even since I was fairly young. I, I wasn't somebody who had access to the information about the community when I was really little you know i was i was born in the 90s i wasn't born kids were able to realize what being trans was when they were little you know by the time i realized what transgender was i was 20 <laughs> i was grown even still you know there was the constant ever present discomfort that would show up in different ways and it's interesting looking back at a lot of like the old characters the old stories and stuff that i used to devote my time to and how often there were transgender or gay narratives in things, even before I knew what I was. You know, I was sitting there and I was kind of, okay, so we've got this child who for some reason that I made up some silly reason was rejected by their parents and forced to go and change their identity and all that kind of stuff to hide out and hmm, why could this child have been uh, rejected? Maybe it was for something to do with sexuality and stuff. It was all of this stuff where the characters just had a feeling to them. Now that I'm older, I look back and I'm like, wow, that character was really gay.
1: Yeah, it all kind of like into place now.
4: <laughs> yeah, at the time I was like, look at this heterosexual who was kicked out of their house for no reason. And I'm like, <laughs> that kid was gay. That kid was just so gay. You know, I was writing this and I was like, 15 years old, but man, look at how gay that was. It's
0: kind of amazing looking back on work that you created when you were younger and seeing things that you realize now that are so part of your identity and realizing that you were figuring them out even before you knew.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those kind of jokes that goes along with people being transgender and you sit there and you ask them, you know, oh, were you doing this as a child? Were you doing that as a child? Because a lot of us were doing, you know, the same thing, all of the tomboy transgender men that were putting on you know oversized shirts all the well i was just thinking about what it would be like to live my life as the opposite gender you know it just seemed like it would be really nice but i'm not transgender i swear so what is your favorite thing about the lgbtq art community i think one thing that i've really liked about becoming more involved with the more more queer creators online is that instead of seeing the same kind of person over and over again in all the drawings it tends to be a lot more varied you're seeing people who are transgender drawing people with their body types and it's not a cisgender uh, expected body type you're seeing people drawing you know thin people fat people muscular people of all genders all you know ethnicities. You're you're not seeing being surrounded by, and here is conventionally attractive white woman A, and here is conventionally attractive white man B. I just say I um, I love that
0: there is this wonderful overwhelm of body positivity with so many different sizes and gender and everything that you know I personally am seeing like through Instagram and Twitter and I love it and it's so relatable because it's bringing I don't know this pedestal idea about beauty and everything Mm -hmm. down to what real beauty is which is normal and human and I mean I say human I mean like all the the wonderful (laughs) array of characters that we have (laughs) uh, including various stuff Um, but. (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's just like that's what real beauty is it's being able to connect with it and it's a fantasy but it's one that we are a part of as opposed to it being like something we can never obtain
4: yeah it's it's something that i've heard people talking about a lot in um the disabled community actually so i follow some creators that do disabled related content for making your characters disabled and stuff like that in dungeons and dragons Something that keeps on happening is that able-bodied people are crawling out of the woodwork to be like, you don't need that. You can exist in this fantasy and walk. Why can't you imagine a version of yourself that can walk? Got this combat wheelchair that one of them made, which is just an awesome thing. Uh, you know, I've got a friend that is in a wheelchair and it's like, look, she can have herself be in this and not have to be like, well, this would be the version of myself if I could walk. Or, or to have characters be able to exist that resemble you and have all of those things in common with you i definitely think one of the things that we need more of still we've got a lot of great body positivity for people of different ethnicities and sexualities we need to see more for people with disabilities
1: yeah i'm so on board it's peculiar as you said when you were saying about like how people are negative about well why you could be anything in this fantasy so why wouldn't you be a person that could walk if you can't walk normally and it's like well why shouldn't they be a person that's in a wheelchair in dungeons and dragons because they're so accepting and happy with how their body is now like and that's something that they come they've had to fight to come to terms with why wouldn't they be perfectly happy being that same person just in a different realm it they they can't wrap their heads around that though can they I think unless they've been
4: in that position and it's something that I kind of work with a little in my stuff. I've actually got a webcomic that I'm working on, and pointedly, all three of the main characters have something, you know, quote-unquote, wrong with them. You know, I've got one that's struggling with anxiety, I've got another one that's on the schizophrenia spectrum, and I've got another one that has a missing leg, and she had to have a prosthetic. And it's not, to me, about well, why in this world where magic exists, don't they just use magic to cure this guy's schizophrenia? It's about why in a world where magic exists, do you want to be so obsessed with whether somebody has, you know, a mental illness and not whether this person is, can be a perfectly good and functional person. You know, you're not sitting there and seeing, well, this person has a disability, and in order for them to be able to be the hero of the story, they need to have their disability cured. No. I think that's a part of the fantasy, is I've got issues with my arms. I can't always use them. I can't work full time because of it. And to me, it's not empowering to be like, yeah, and here's this story where this person magically got their arms fixed, and then they could work full time again. Because it's not going to happen. It's more interesting to be like, here's this story where this person has their disability, it doesn't get minimized, it's not, you know, some dramatic and they overcame it kind of moment. It's just, they have this disability and they also are the hero. And I think that's what people don't understand when it comes to representation of people of different sexualities, different genders, people who are disabled, people who are of different ethnicities, that it's not about, well, I can fantasize and become the perfect ideal, it's about, I can have the fantasy where I get to be the hero regardless of what society says is wrong with me.
1: Definitely that.
4: Oh, that appeals to me so
0: much. Sorry. (laughs) I know. <laughs> I feel so moved by it because it's so it's so true and accurate and it's it's allowing the masses to see everyone as accepting themselves and allow anyone to be a hero of their own story. And that's so important for people to feel. They shouldn't feel that there's this hole within their life that they need to fill in because they're entirely whole now. Everyone has their own issues and problems but everyone should feel happy with being entirely themselves So what is the best advice you've ever received and the best advice uh, you would want to give to someone?
4: So the best advice I ever received, very interesting conversation that I had in undergrad working on trying to apply for like scholarship programs to go abroad and stuff like that. And just applying around to a whole bunch of things with the idea that I was going to do grad school on a scholarship in another country, because it seemed to me that that would be the coolest thing to do. And I was talking to a person at my school that was involved with helping people with those kinds of applications. And something she said stuck with me to this day. She said, you know, you're very charismatic. You are good at talking your way into things. I think sometimes you are so good at talking your way into things that you talk your way into things that you don't necessarily want. And it was kind of this moment of, and I think about it all the time sometimes when I'm like, yeah, you know, I can go to this job interview and I could probably ace it, but am I just trying to talk myself into something that I don't want?
1: Like, do you actually want it or is it just...
4: Yeah. And it helps me step back and go, is this something that I want because of my neurotic little drive to win at everything? Or is it something that is actually right for me? Is it something that is the thing that I want to be doing the place that I want to be? I think that that's something that a lot of people probably should think about obviously in some cases you have to talk your way into the thing you don't want if you need the job to live or something but if you have the ability you have to think about what you want to do and whether you are talking your way into something that you will not ultimately want see that's fantastic advice because it reminds you to look at yourself and what do you want
0: regardless of whether you're able to achieve it or not you're like do i actually want this do i want to work towards
4: it or not um so that's amazing advice yeah, I mean, I I ended up not getting a single one of those scholarships I applied for, but one of the programs that I applied for went under. <laughs> And the other stuff, it ultimately ended up being not the direction that I was thinking that I wanted to go in after the fact, because I did three different applications for psychology related stuff. And then the one that went under was the art thing. The art thing was what I ended up being interested in. The psychology ones that rejected me, I think they could probably tell that I was trying to talk myself into something that I didn't want. You know, you can tell if somebody's not really passionate about something, even if it's not just an art piece. Like I said, if your art isn't passionate, you can probably tell if somebody's not very passionate about their science degree either
1: so eli our final question for you is what's your favorite quote if you have one
4: this is just going to show how terminally online i am (laughs) um but one of the quotes that i like the best above all else is from of all things a drill tweet (laughs) (laughs) right and it is that one that is about Facing God and walking backwards into hell. (laughs) I think the whole tweet started with something about shouting at zoo animals, but the latter half of the tweet... (laughs) I I think it was like, If the zoo bans me for hollering at the animals, I will face God and walk backwards into hell, or something like that. Oh my god, I love it. Look, we sit here and we we have all of these bizarre quotes that get attributed to, like, meme accounts and stuff like
0: that. Uh, Well, you know, I find that meme accounts pinpoint life to a T. So they really point the finger and you're like, oh my god, I relate to that so much. Because
4: it's showing the truth of what life is. Yeah, it's like, it's it's the pulse of the internet instead of, you know, some deep quote from, you know, Shakespeare hundreds of years ago. No, 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 now today we have drill. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, you have been so fantastic.
4: Because <laughs> we've got to the end of our questions now.
0: Such a good
1: interview. Thank you for coming on. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank
4: you guys again for having me. It was it was a fun start to my morning. I, I suppose now I'll have to do something other than draw more capybaras.
0: <laughs>
4: and uh, so, like,
0: where can uh, everyone find you if they want to find out a little bit more? Like on the socials?
4: I am all over the place. But one of the easiest things is you can just... Type out shroompunk.com, and I have got all of my stuff listed on there. It's spelled exactly how it sounds, shroom punk. (laughs) But I am on Twitter under the same name. I'm on Twitch. I occasionally stream when my arms aren't acting up. I am on Instagram, kind of all over the place. I do have an old Tumblr that is under that name, but I haven't really updated it in a while, given, you know. (laughs) I've got it on Tapas, where I post my webcomic. I'm just shroom punk all over because it seems that nobody was really looking for the name shroom punk anywhere so i got it
0: <laughs> well honestly yeah it's been so wonderful having you uh, come on the show um and uh we will definitely be following you with all
4: the things that you're going to do in the future thank you hopefully <laughs> i'll be doing lots of things and not procrastinating
0: <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of us definitely
3: <laughs> thank you to everyone who got involved this lgbtq history month Connecting with you guys and sharing what we love is at the centre of Drunk Art Review. For more information and to find out further ways to support the LGBT community, head over to www.lgbtqplushistorymonth.co.uk.
0: You can also head over to our Instagram account and see the marvellous selection of artists we've been sharing this past month. Drunk Art Review podcast was created, hosted
3: and edited by me, Rose Alexander and Jennifer Kemp. All music and sound design was resourced.